This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and we are in revival here at Abundant Grace Church. This is Pastor Scott Rambo, and these are the messages from each one of our services. Enjoy. Praise the Lord. It's already done. Aren't you thankful for that? We are saved by grace, not of works, lest we would boast about it. Amen? It's the gift of God. The gift of God. Well, um, if you have your Bibles tonight, uh, I would ask you to turn with me to the book of John. That's the gospel according to John. Uh, We're going to be in chapter number 9 this evening, reading verses number 1 through 12. Um, my, My thought, my prayer, the focus of these next three services will be on the glory of God alone. The glory of God alone. So we'll begin tonight in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And by the grace of God, I pray that our focus is redirected this evening. We'll explain that in just a, in just a moment. So let's pray together tonight together, and we'll, then we'll begin reading. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your spirit, for your truth. Father, we look to you and we hope in you and we trust in you. I pray tonight that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that you would lead us and guide us by the goodness of your spirit. I pray that you would use me for your glory alone. May no flesh be glorified in your sight tonight, but, oh, Father, draw us together, draw us closer to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day, night is coming, when no, man, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And I went away and washed and I received sight. They said unto him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Be seated this evening. So the overarching theme for the next three services that we have together is the glory of God alone. But it's hard for us to speak about the glory of God in the current climate or the current culture that we live in, right? And and, and when I say that, I'm I'm not just speaking of the world. I'm not just talking about, you know, what's going on in the secular society around us. But, But even within what's called Christianity today, right? So there has to be a redirecting of our sight or of our focus 
what we're looking at when we talk about the glory of God. Now, now let me, let me give you a couple illustrations, and, and I hope that we don't start off crossways the road tonight. Like I, I hope as I give you these, you don't say, well, wait a minute, those are my illustrations, right? Or, or, or those are the things that I cling to. If, if you do, just, just give me a moment, right? So the glory of God is talked about in so many different ways. I remember when I, um, when I became a Christian, April the 19th, the year 2000, and that's when the Word of Faith movement was very, very big, you know, a, a big, big movers and shakers in the Word of Faith movement, big uh, ministries and television ministries, tent ministries, meetings all over the world. They would have services, and the preacher would stand up, and all of a sudden, the preacher would get to the point in the sermon, and he would say, oh, the glory of God is about to come in here, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they would say gold dust would start coming out of the air-conditioned vents. Anybody remember that movement was pretty big, right? Gold dust would start coming, it, and, and people have come out, you know, years later and still coming out uh, with, with the truth about that, of how people were paid to dump gold glitter in the air-conditioned ductwork uh, in the ceiling, you know, at that time. And then I always, I, I always get mixed up on this one. At our church, when I talk about things like this, I always say, and, and they also had chicken wings coming out of the uh, vents as well. It's chicken feathers, not wings. That would be amazing. Right, chicken wings were coming out of the vents, but chicken feathers coming out of the vents, and they would say it's angels' wings, right? And the glory of God is here, right? And that's what they would say, right? When when they talk about the glory of God, but when but when we when we redirect our focus from that which is all about us and our experiences and our feelings and our emotions, and then we redirect our sight biblically at who God is and biblically at what it means that the reality that God is glorious. And what is the glory of God when we redirect our focus from all of these things, like, like sayings that sound like this. This is where I hope you don't get crossways the road with me, right? Sayings that sound like this, you know? You were born with a God-sized hole in your heart that only he can fill. And you might say, wait a minute, I, I kind of like that. Like, what's, you know, what's so bad with that one, right? You were born with a God-sized hole in your heart, and you're, and, and, and you're missing a, a piece and, and, until God comes in. You can never be whole. Well, that's the problem with it. The rest of the heart's good. You're just missing the piece, right? It insinuates that you need God to be a big part of your life. But Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall we be made like him, right? So the glory of God is not a missing puzzle piece to make me happy. The missing puzzle piece that brings me satisfaction in my life. When we, when we redirect our attention and we see the glory of God, we see that God is intrinsically glorious. And I really want to get into that more tomorrow night than we do tonight, right? And, and God is intrinsically glorious. And what I mean by that is he's glorious without me. And he doesn't need me. And God said to Job, if I needed anything, I wouldn't tell you anyway. Right? That's what God said to Job. God said to Job, where were you when I created all this? Where, where were you when I spanned out the oceans and filled them with water? I love how Genesis puts creation. I really do, you know. How God made the greater light and then he made the lesser light and then he just flung the stars out there. As though it was nothing. My oldest son, he bought a, um, I'm going to get the name wrong. Not microscope, telescope, telescope. I always get them mixed up, right? He bought a telescope. We go on the front porch. It took us a week and a half to find the moon in that thing. 
There were stars everywhere. We, we shot right in between every one of them. Could not find them, right? I couldn't even find it in the telescope, and he just flung them out there. Oh, and he also made the stars, right? When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about a God who does not need us. Now, I know that sounds like, whoa, hang on, wait a minute, that's countercultural. That's counter-modern Christianity. Like, that, that doesn't float the boat, right? God doesn't need us. No, he created us because he needed company. What? He created us because he was lonely. Remember, God doesn't need company. And God was not lonely within himself. Well, then the question remains, then why did God make me? I always say that I live today for two reasons. It's the only reason I breathe right now. Two reasons, to know God and to make God known. I live for the glory of God alone. God created us for his glory. So I want us to look at this text tonight. You say, well, how are we getting to this text with what you're saying, right? Well, there's the introduction. Let's dive into the text tonight, right? Jesus is passing by, and he sees a man that was born blind in John chapter 9, verse number 1. He sees this man born blind, and his disciples asked him a question. Listen to the question in verse number 2 of John chapter 9. Rabbi, master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Who sinned? This was their focus. Now, this was, this was, and I'm going to try to say it nicely, this was a heretical question. This was, this was a blasphemous question. And, and they should have known it was a blasphemous question because of Ezekiel chapter 18, verse number 1 through 4. Listen to what Ezekiel 18, verses 1 through 4 say. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. You, you understand? I mean, do we all understand what that proverb means? It means the kid eats, I mean, the father eats the candy and the kid's teeth rot out. In other words, the proverb was, the fathers do this terrible thing, and then God punishes the children for what the fathers did. That's, that's what the proverb says. And God says, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers eat sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge? Listen to what God says in verse 3. As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the father, as well as the soul of the son is mine, the soul who sins will die. Did you hear that? God said to them in Ezekiel, these followers of Jesus, the disciples, they knew Ezekiel. Young Jewish boys grow up in Hebrew school where they learn the language, where they learn the scriptures, and they can quote whole passages and even whole books of the Old Testament. They knew this passage. They knew it was wrong to say that the man was born blind. God's punishing the man with sickness because of what his parents did. But yet they ask the question to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned that this man here was born blind? Right? Who, whose fault is it? And then, then they said this. They said, this, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it his parents or this man? Now think about that. He was born blind. And we know that when infants die, they go to heaven. That's a controversial subject. How? When David's son died, David said, I cannot bring him back to me, but I can go to where he is. What was he, seven days old? Right? 
David said, I can't bring him back to me, but I can go to where he is. David let you know where he was, right? So, so if infants, when they die, they go to heaven, and this man was born blind, it couldn't be because of his sin. So then they had to redirect the question, and they had to say, or was it his parents' sin? And they knew what Ezekiel said. They knew that God said, I'm not going to punish the children because of what the parents, everybody's going to stand before me in judgment, right? And all will be held accountable for their sins. So there's the question. That's their viewpoint. That's their focus. And I want you to see something with me tonight. Their focus is what we call carnal. It's physical. It's about the parents. It's about the man. That's all they can see in it. I know this doesn't sound like, you know, like, where, where, where is this going? It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but just bear with me for a moment. Because even the followers of Jesus at this point, when they see this situation, they see this man born blind, they attach it, everything is physical, everything is carnal, everything's about the blind man, everything's about his parents, everything's about the consequence of A, B, and C, because that's how we know the world will work. That's how it has to happen that way, right? But Jesus' answer is so startling. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 3, Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. Now, like, pump the brakes right there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we, that's, that's uh, New Testament. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul says. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. David says in the book of Psalms, we're born in sin and shapen in iniquity from our mother's womb. And now Jesus says, this man and this woman has not sinned. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say they were sinless. He did not say they were perfect. Jesus was repeating Ezekiel chapter number 18, verses number 1 through 4. It's not because of their sin that this man was born blind. You you need to redirect your focus, Jesus says. It's not because of the parent's sin. It's not because of the young man's sin that this man was born blind. But listen to the rest of the passage now in verse number 3. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wait a minute. Do you mean this man was called by God to bear the burden of blindness so that he those around him, and you and I could see the glory of God in a way that we wouldn't have seen it before? Absolutely. Now we've hit the meat of the subject. Now we've hit the heart of this matter, right? And I want, I want to encourage you tonight. I want to tell you something, and I want to encourage you with this. And, and at first, because of the way that we're programmed to think and because of where our focus lies at and, 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 and because of all of these things combined together, it's going to sound like, well, that's, that's unfair and that's harsh, and, and God doesn't do things like that. But if by the grace of God you could open your eyes to see the truth tonight, it'd be one of the biggest blessings you'd ever receive in your entire life. Now, Paul told Timothy that, that in the last days that there would be people that would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know what that means? That they would heap to themselves teachers, not teachers that proclaim the truth, right, but teachers that would tell them what they want to hear. And I just want to say this tonight. I have absolutely zero intention on scratching those ears. Zero. And I don't, I don't say that arrogantly or sarcastically, but I say that from a place of love. 
Like when I stand in the pulpit in Generette, Louisiana, and I look out across the congregation, right, and, and I look at those people, I realize that this is serious, ladies and gentlemen. This life is a vapor, and we're not promised tomorrow or another second in this life, right? And eternity is absolutely real, and it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. So let's look at the reality of things, right? Let's get to the heart of the matter. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear, amen? Don't tell me what I want to hear, but tell me. So this is what we need to hear this evening, that there are some of us that God has called. I heard myself that time, too. There are some of us that God has called to bear burdens that others will not have to bear for the glory of God. I know, I, I know that doesn't sound right. It's the devil. It's got to be the devil. It's got, it's got to be the man's born blind. Jesus said it wasn't the parents' fault. Don't ever say the proverb again, God said in Ezekiel 18. The fathers ate sour grapes. The children's teeth are set on edge. I don't want you to use that. I'm not going to punish the children because of the sins of their fathers. I am a just God. You know God is just. There's a lot of talk about justice in our world today, isn't there? You don't need a word in front of justice. You just need justice. And there's only one judge that is just, and that's the judge of the universe. Amen? God is a just God. God says, I'm not going to make the children bear the weight of the iniquity of their fathers, but everybody's going to stand before me in judgment. So the reality of it is this. This man born blind, the devil didn't do it. Right? Now, let's talk about what that means. Because, you know, you can throw me crossways the tracks on that one, can't you? Right? You can say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sin is the consequence, I mean, sickness is the consequence of sin, right? Sin introduced by the serpent, the temptation. So don't say the devil didn't do it, right? You, you, can't, you can't really say that the devil, the, the devil didn't do it. Well, this is what I mean by that. When the man was born blind, God was not off somewhere busy and didn't see what happened. That, this applies across the board to everybody here. To everybody here. Now, now, God was not asleep. He didn't have his head turned. When Job was tempted, God knew exactly what was going on every moment of every second of Job's life. And when you battle carrying the burdens that you must carry in your life, God is not absent from you either. God knows exactly what's going on. So is sickness the consequence of sin? Well, absolutely it is. But, but not, in the, not in the way that sometimes we think about it. Not in the way that, well, brother such and such has bronchitis. I wonder what he did. Huh? Sister such and such has come down with the flu. What do you think she did? Right? Sickness is the consequence of sin in regards to the fall of man with Adam and Eve, right? It's a consequence that comes along that even leads us to death. So sickness is a burden that we all must bear because of the fall of man, because Adam fell, because Eve fell, and now we're all sold into the slavery of sin. Sickness is a burden that we must bear, but even these burdens are for the purpose of revealing the glory of God. So I pray that by the grace of God we're not deceived by our culture, that we're not deceived by modern Christianity, right? Uh, and modern Christianity teaches things like this. Like uh, We're really not even modern anymore. We're called postmodern Christianity now, right? So postmodern Christianity teaches us things like this. When you come to God in faith and repentance, God forgives you of your sins, writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, and, and from that moment on, you never get sick again. You've always got a pocket full of money. You eat whatever you want, never gain weight. That's a lot. 
right? I mean, he just takes the consequences of all those things away when that's just not true. And there are people who love God here this evening that could stand up and say through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. So it's grace that kept me safe thus far, and grace shall lead me on. God forgave David in the Old Testament of his sin with Bathsheba, but his child died, and God said the sword will never leave your house. Right? That's what God said. He had to bear the consequences of that. But when we look back over the life of David, do we view, do we view that life as a failure? No. No, we see every sinful obstacle overcome by the grace of God, thereby you and I behold the glory of God more perfectly. So when we look in John chapter 9 and we see a young man from birth that was born blind, we don't shake our fist at God and say, God, that's not fair. How dare you? He should not have had to bear that burden. No, we look at the goodness of God and the glory of God revealed. That's what Jesus said. This man was born blind so that we might do the works of God so that others could see the glory that God is now going to reveal in his life. And so it is with the burdens that you and I bear as well. Now, some of you that have been through hardships in your life, such as terrible sicknesses and loss, you may look up here at me and you may say, well, you're 36 years old. What major sicknesses have you had in your life? And to that, I would answer none. And you would say, well, it's easy for you to preach it, right, when you haven't had to live it. Well, in that regard, I would say you got me. But uh, without going in detail, because I did last year when I was here with you guys, I told you that my wife and I, we have three beautiful children, but we also lost three children as well. And I wear the hat tonight that says I still don't understand it completely, but I do understand that we were called by God to bear that burden for his glory. For his glory. You see, this is this misconception, even within Christianity, that exists within so many people and within so many churches today is this. God exists for me, right? God exists to make me happy. He's my genie. I rub the lamp. He gives me what I want. I'm the center of the universe. God would never want me to be unhealthy. God would never want me to be unhappy. But Jesus says in John chapter 9, I knew it. This wasn't by surprise that this man was born blind. He was born blind and he's lived his life blind and he's been called by God to bear this burden so that you may behold God's glory, right? I don't understand everything about this. Right? Christianity's still a walk of faith. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm all about knowledge. I'm all about understanding. I'm all about digging as deeply as we can into the original languages of the, of the Scripture to find out the truths, the hidden gems that are right in front of our eyes that we don't even see in whole at this moment, right? I'm all about that, but let us also be reminded that Christianity is a walk of faith, and there are things in this life that you won't always fully understand, but know this, God is always good, and if He's called you to bear the burden that you bear, you bear it for His glory, for his glory. Jesus said in this life you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I don't know how to do it right. I don't know how to do it right. But I wish, I don't know, if, you tell me if you think this is the right way. I wish I could just, I could grab everybody who believes that life is all about them. There are preachers that preach to you and it's all about prosperity. It's all about health. It's all about you, 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 you. It's not about his glory at all. I wish I could grab them by the shoulders and just shake them, you know. 
I don't think that's the right way to do it. I don't think it'll work. And I wish I could just shake this one thought into them. It's not all about me. It's about his glory. So I want you to think about something. So we're told, um, we're seen in, in, in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we're shown in the book of Isaiah. And we're shown in the book of Revelation, the fall of Lucifer, right? We're told in the book of, of Ezekiel how beautiful that he was created with all of the stones that covered him, right? All of the beauty that he was created in. And when God created Lucifer, he knew. He knew. He knew. Why would God do that? Why? All of the trouble that the devil has caused, sickness has come because of sin, heartache, loss, pain, and suffering. Why would God? Why create him? What? Take that out of him, God. If you think God didn't know what was going to happen, and I don't take a prescient view of that either. I believe that God fulfills all of his decrees according to the counsel of his own will. Of his own will. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean, hold on, you're digging a hole right now. I didn't come with a shovel tonight. You mean God created the devil, and God, in creating the devil, knew uh, that he was going to be the devil. Yeah. And then God created Adam and Eve and put them in the most beautiful, wonderful, perfect place that they could have ever been, the Garden of Eden. And God put a tree right in the middle of the garden. And as God's telling them, don't ever eat of this tree, you mean to tell me God knows they're going to eat of that tree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know, I know, and that's, a, that's, a, whew, that's one of them pills to swallow that you need like a whole gallon of water with, right? But let me explain it, and it becomes much more clear, right? God created the angels, the seraphims, and the cherubims, and the beauty and the glory and the holiness that he created them in. Do you know how they live? They live their lives in constant piety. Do you know what that means? That means they never deviate day and night from worshiping the God who created them, right? And even go to the book of Revelation, and you find as John is brought before a sea of people, a number who cannot be numbered, and there is a book in the middle of them that no one is worthy to open. And John, the Bible says in Revelation, John began to weep because no one could open the book. And a strong angel came to John, and the angel said, Oh, John, weep not. There is one worthy to open the book. And when he says this, John in elation falls down and begins to worship the angel. John, the apostle, who knew better than to do this, but enraptured in the moment, enraptured in what he sees and in the presence of God, he falls down and begins to worship the angel. And you know what that angel did? That angel said, stop! I can't even do it. Like, stop! No, 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 no. You know why? Because he remembered what happened to Lucifer. Right? Jesus said in the book of Luke, I beheld him like lightning cast out of heaven. In the book of Revelation, it says that he fell from heaven and with his tail, he drew a third of the stars down with him, right? A third of the angels. And listen, God never offered them forgiveness once. Not once. God has never offered Lucifer a chance to say, I'm sorry, nor any of the fallen angels a chance to repent of their sins. So here's the, here's the point that I'm making, right? We see this picture of God's glory and creation of the angels who never deviate, right? Two-thirds of the angels that are left there never deviate from praising God. Isaiah saw them. Isaiah saw them, the seraphim that circled the throne day and night, Isaiah said. And this is what he said about them. He said they had six wings. With two wings... They cover their face. With two wings, they cover their feet. And with two wings, they fly. Why do they cover their face and their feet? 
because they remember what happened to the devil when he wanted the glory, when he wanted the attention, right? When he wanted the worship, it's not about them. It's about the one who sits upon the throne. It's about his glory. So they cover. You know how beautiful they must be? Anytime angels, you know, I know people talk about chicken wings coming out the ceiling. Angel wings falling out of the ceiling, right? And then you, they, I see the sur- they're wild, man. People are jumping around and going crazy, and the, the, the chicken feathers are falling from the ceiling, and the preacher's saying, there it is. It's the angel wings. It's the glory of God coming down. Well, in reality, when angels appeared before men, what were their two most popular words that they said? Fear not and get up, right? Because they fell before the glory that God created them in. People fell as dead men before those angels. All of the beauty that God created them in. Can you imagine what Isaiah saw, those seraphim circling that throne? And the Bible said they cease not. They never stop day and night saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. Day and, can you imagine that? Day and night? Day and night? I remember being a young Christian. Our church is set up. We only have two rows of pews down the church. And uh, myself and two other young people in the church would sit on the front pew. And I remember, Brother Scott, I'd come to church, and I'd say, I'm going to worship the Lord tonight. I'm going to lift my hands the whole time they sing. I'm not going to put my hands down. I'm just going to worship the Lord. I mean, even when they pause in between songs, I'm not putting my hands down. That, I, it never worked. It never worked. I don't know what the, what the name of the muscle is that keeps your hands holding up in the air, but it's, it's weak. It's a weak one, right? Can you imagine, though, these seraphims, they never stop day and night circling that throne. Holy, 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 Lord. God Almighty, they're so glorious and holy and beautiful that if one of them appeared before us tonight, I dare say we'd all fall on our faces on the carpet as dead men before the glory that God created them. But here's the catch, ladies and gentlemen. God is not most glorified in them. He's not. God is not most glorified in the seraphim or the cherubim. You know who he's most glorified in? A man born blind from birth. A man that he's come to bear burdens of pain and sorrow and loss. So yeah, God created the devil. I'm supposed to keep talking in this thing, but I keep hearing myself bouncing back to me. God created the devil knowing he would be the devil. God created the splendor of the Garden of Eden knowing exactly what it was going to be. Exactly what was going to happen. He planted that tree in the middle and when the fruit, before the fruit ever grew on it or however that happened, God knew she would eat it. God knew she would bring it to her husband. Why would the almighty God, who nothing is beyond his reach, not reach down and choke that snake? You ever think about that? I've heard people my whole life say what kind of a lamb they'd put on Adam if they could just go back. Right? And I say, well, what would he have to do to you? Because you'd have did the same thing. Oh, don't say that about me. Well, we all have sinned. We've all bitten that fruit, haven't we, ladies and gentlemen? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? God knew all along. Then why would God allow it? For his glory. Because God is most glorified when sinners like us say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. God is most glorified when saints who have been redeemed by his grace sit in a service like we do tonight in the middle of a culture that is upside down and going completely crazy and made everything about us, even worship. Listen to a lot of modern worship songs. They're not about the Lord. They're about me. Right? Listen to a lot of modern sermons. They're not about how good God is. 
They're about how good I am. Just tapping into my inner potential and my inner goodness. Everything's about me. Everything. I got to quit. I, I forgot all my watches, I promise. And I don't, I don't see a clock nowhere. I don't know how long I've been going, but I got to quit, right? When I was a teenager, you know what I wanted? I wanted a truck with power windows and locks. I had a blue GMC that was all manual. I'm sorry, I know you're trying to record everything, but I got to put the mic down for a moment. I would pull up at the Sonic drive-in. This is how I would do it. I would flip my left hand down and grab the, you know, the handle that rolls the window down. And then I would take this finger and I'd just push the arm hole. And, I would. and I'd roll the window down. I wanted the person driving by on the skates to think I had power windows and power locks. Now we've got heated and cooled seats. Heated steering wheels. Can you imagine? Everything's about our comfort. Hey, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus if you got a heated steering wheel. I'm not. I got heated seats. I don't have the cooled ones, but I imagine they are wonderful, especially in Louisiana, right? The point that I'm trying to make is it seems as though not only in the world has everything become about us, but even in the church, everything has become about us. Everything has become about us. By the grace of God, may we redirect our focus because if not, here's what happens. This is the conclusion. Here's what happens. If we don't redirect our focus and get it off of us and onto his glory, here's what happens. Every time something happens in our life that is less than convenient or less than pleasant in our life, God, where are you? You couldn't have seen this one. You couldn't have been here. God, why didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you hear my prayer? I know that things are hard sometimes. I've walked through difficult times in my life. I still don't understand them fully to this day, but I'm called by God to be this person, to bear this burden for his glory. And just like the brother sang tonight, one day I'll trade this cross for a crown, but not today. Does that mean God doesn't heal? Absolutely not. God's a miracle worker. There's nothing that the Lord cannot do. And if just like the blind man was healed for the glory of God, amen? He was healed for the glory of God. But everyone doesn't get healed for the glory of God. Some people bear their sicknesses all the way to the grave for the glory of God. Right? We like to talk about Lazarus, how God raised him. Lazarus, come forth. Man, that's wonderful. The Lord raised Lazarus from the dead for the glory of God, right? He hopped out of that grave. They rolled that stone back. You know, there came a day they put him back in that grave and they rolled the stone back over it again. And God didn't raise him that time. No, no. Oh, but there's coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, that we're going to trade the cross for a crown. So God does all things according to the purpose or the counsel of his own will, according to his own good pleasure and for the purpose of his glory. May we not get so engulfed enraptured in what the world is pushing and what modern Christianity is pushing that we lose the sight of the reality that our lives exist for the praise of his glory. You live. Don't, don't get so caught up. Don't get so caught up in the mundane things of life. Don't get so caught up in the career. Don't get so caught up in the mortgage. Don't get so caught up uh, in, in, in whatever else you've got going on in your life. I, I didn't realize how enraptured people got in things till I started coaching my kids' little baseball team. 
people don't play with these kids in baseball. I mean, they, this is like everything. This is, no, it's not. It's everything to them, right? And, 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 and it's so easy to get caught up in that. Man, are you going to be here? Are you going to be there? You know, I mean, people get, but it's everything. It's all the way across the board, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get so enraptured in everything that's going on in your life that you don't realize that you live for his glory. You breathe for his pleasure. And it's not always easy to bear that cross, is it? Oh, it's not. Through sickness and pain and heartache and loss. It's not always easy. But it's always for his glory. So may he be praised. May he be glorified in the lives that we live. Amen. May we redirect our focus and put it back on Jesus. So let's, let's end this way with this scripture this evening. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I, I, I know some of you, we're acquainted. I don't know you personally enough to know the struggles that you have in your life and the conflicts that you're facing, and the battles that you go through on an everyday basis in your life, but I can tell you there's not anything that happened today or that will happen tomorrow or that happened yesterday that God is not in complete control of and he doesn't know all about. And I can tell you at the end of this thing, we're going to take these crowns off. We're going to lay this cross down, uh, lay it at his feet, um, and he's going to say to us, well done, uh, good and faithful servant, and nothing will give him more glory than, the, than the, that enrapturement of those whom he has redeemed. Your life, the redemption of your soul, the bearing of your burdens uh, brings God the greatest glory more than the angels, more than the seraphims, uh, more than the cherubims. So may our lives resound to the glory of our God. Let's stand together this evening. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace tonight. We pray, God, that our focus would be solely and intently, exactly upon you. Let us not waver to the left or to the right. And if there's anyone here who has lost sight of that, who has become discouraged in bearing their burden and in bearing their cross, Father, may you give strength to the weary and to the weak. May you remind us that you are always and have always been in complete control. And may our lives be lived to the praise of your glory. And I know Father, that there must be people in here that have endured and are enduring and may continue to endure hard, difficult trials and battles in their life. Oh, Father, but may we serve you well. May we bear our cross well. May we bear it to the praise. Thank you for being in Revival with us here at Abundant Grace Church. Our normal podcast has new episodes every Tuesday where you can listen in and join us in the classroom as we go through content just like you heard 